Welcome to Reteach, a place where professors know that student equity gaps can be closed and are willing to put in the work to figure it out. We are dedicated to our teaching and our students. We are passionate about improving our classrooms and our communities. We can make a difference. We will make a difference. I am your host, Bruce Hoskins, and my mind and heart are ready to learn. What's up, everybody? So on this episode, I really want to focus in on why I used to hate grading. And let me tell you the punchline right now. I love grading. You know what? I shouldn't say I love grading. I like grading now. I really mean that, though. I really mean I like grading. I don't love it, but I do like it. I do like it. And there are some things that you can do about it um, if you really take into consideration why you may hate grading in the first place. Okay. And so this is a personal journey. I'm sure that this is applicable to a lot of other folks, but like I said, I'm speaking from my own perspective on how I went from hating grading to at least liking it. Right. And so, you know, you know, and I reflect on when I first came in as a teacher, I came in and I was all bright eyed and bushy tailed and I had this system of things that I already wanted to do. I already knew I wanted to do. I had this comprehensive study guide that I would give to the students um, right in the very beginning. And um, and I was thinking to myself, I was like, yo, how many professors have a study guide? Not a whole bunch. But how many of them have a comprehensive study guide? Even less. And so therefore, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to that this is really going to help out what's going on in the space. Right. And So, you know, I first start teaching and I'm just like, yo, I'm going to conquer the world. Everything's going to happen and it's going to be exciting. And then even with this comprehensive study guide, let me tell you what I mean by comprehensive study guide. What I mean is that I literally pulled all the questions, 100 percent of the questions for the exam I pulled from the study guide. Okay, and so of course there were more questions on the on the study guide than there was on the exam, right? And so out of like forty definitions, um, I would you know do twenty of them. Out of fifteen short answer questions, I would do seven of them or something like that, right? And so, but I assure you that whatever questions were on there, I was on the study guide. I pulled them from the study guide and put them on the exam. Some of you are thinking that I've gone too far already, and that is completely fine. I get it. I truly do now, you know, now that I'm at this stage of my my career and everything, I I get why people think that that's going too far. But that's another, you know, right, that's another, you know, episode or whatnot. But what I want to focus in on is that it didn't help the way that I thought it was going to help. I mean, it literally didn't help the way that I thought it was going to help because even with this comprehensive study guide, half of the class still failed my exam. And this was a semester by semester basis. It wasn't just a one shot deal. This was pretty much every semester, about 15 to 20 students would fail my first exam, you know, give or take. Right. It's like that's there's there's always classes that do better, always classes that do worse. But somewhere in that range of 50 percent of students would still fail my test even though I was given this comprehensive study guide, right? When I think about that, I think about the possible reactions that I could have had out of that space, right? I mean, for real, think about it. I mean, I gave, to me, I was thinking I gave more than what a lot of teachers are even doing, and yet the students still failed, half of the students still failed my first exam. 
this really made me think about, like, like I said, like possible outcomes. And so me as a teacher, I could have been like, yo, damn, the hell with those students. They're the ones that are failing. It's their fault. I mean, after giving a comprehensive study guide, I could see how that could happen. Right. Um, and then right. Rather than. And then so knowing that grading is not going to be an enjoyable experience for you, what you probably do then from that point is to shorten it up. Right. It's like, look, if it's going to be painful, at least let it be, you know, a short pain, not a long, drawn out pain. Right. And so maybe your tests look like that. Another way of thinking about it is like, well, this is the way the world is. Right. That other teachers have had the same results. You're having the same result. Maybe that knocks a little bit of the fire out of you. As a matter of fact, I know that that knocked a little bit of the fire out of me. But I was thinking, it's like, well, maybe this is the way the world is, right? Maybe there isn't a real difference that I can make. But then I started thinking, what can I do? What can I do better, right? Well, at the time, I really couldn't think of anything that I could do better. I really, I'm being dead honest with you folks. I really couldn't think of anything that I could do better. But what I wound up doing is I gave the students... Uh, a chance to evaluate the mistakes that they did uh, for a quarter of their points back, right? And this, you know, got students, you know, a pretty big chunk of points, right? If you got an 85 or like an 80% on the test, you know, getting a quarter back, that's that puts it up to an 85. And so a much more manageable B, if you would say, right? Um, the thing is, though, is that that didn't get me quite where I wanted to with some of the students who did really poorly. And I mean really poorly, like they got a 20 out of 100 points or something like that. I mean, like, right. So if you think about that, a quarter of those points is going to be, uh, what, 20 points. And so they would still have a 40 Right. And that was like it wasn't as encouraging as I wanted it to be, especially for that first test where I know a lot of people get knocked out. And a lot of people are a lot of these student equity groups, especially right, are are thinking that they don't even belong here in the first place. And then that first exam comes back and then they get roasted that way. And I wanted to be more encouraging. And so what I did for the students who did really badly Right. Where like a quarter of the points wouldn't get them back up to a certain space. What I did for them is that I said, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to give you enough points to get you back to a 60 right to a 60 percent. Now, some people I kid you not, folks, I really like the lowest grade I got. I kid you not was a two out of 100. Right. And I'm like, look, if you do do this assignment, I will bring you all the way back up to a 60, which may seem unfair to some folks and whatnot. And I get it. Um, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, argue that. But what uh, but I already given you my argument as to why I did do it. Right. It's like I really I'm trying to affect um, those people, those student equity groups, especially who who don't feel like they fit in. And I'm trying to encourage that space, right? I'm trying to encourage them to at least get to the second exam before they make it before they make a decision to drop the class or to drop out of college all, you know, just in general, right? And so that got it to where it was better. That out of those 50 students that or out of the 50% of students that wound up failing the first test, I was able to keep a significant uh, more of the students and they learned from their mistakes. They did. A lot of those students, they learned from their mistakes. And for this next exam, they did way better on the next exam. Some people didn't do as well. Other people did, you know, vast improvements and stuff like that. And so this was a system that I really felt like I could live with. I Or honestly, it's not, I don't know if I felt like I could live with the system. I just knew that 
you know what? I, I can live with this. I can live with the, the number of students that are passing now. And you know what? And most students thought I was being really cool about it. And a lot of instructors thought that was like, yo, this is a really good idea. But you know what, folks? Um, a huge disappointment that my son just got finished suffering from made me realize that there was made me think about the thought process that I actually went through in order to understand that there was something that I could do about this. There was something that I could do about this, that I am the teacher. I can do better for my students. I just don't know how to yet. Right. And so I kid you not, the reason I, I'm like, really, I really need to tell you the story about my son, though. It's like, because honestly, that's the reason why I'm recording today. I, I kid you not. Um, I should be getting pre- prepared for class, <laughs> like straight up. But I'm not because this story is so important. And this story, like I said, rem- reminded me that there's something that I could do. Right. And so um, yesterday, my son was supposed to take his driving test. The thing is that there was a miscommunication between him and his mother and myself that caused him to not get his driving, like a driving certificate that he needed, like the the third driving test. This is California, so I don't know if everybody has the same stuff or whatnot, but um, it caused us to not get for him this this third, you know, the for having to take the third class and to get this driving certificate so that he could take his driving test. Right. I mean, we had already set it up. We we went to the appointment. We had the driving test appointment. He was super, 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 super excited about doing this. He got nervous, but, you know, he was he was managing his way through this and, and whatnot. But then we found out as we checked in that we didn't have this paper. And he goes into a huge, you know, he's disappointed. Obviously he's angry. Obviously he's lashing out at me and his mother, obviously. And, you know, this morning I was, you know, trying to tell him, let's like, Hey, you know what? Let's, let's try to, you know, let's, I know you're not, you know, feeling good about this because he didn't even want to drive this morning. Like that's how, that's how bad this is for him. It's like, he just doesn't even want to drive right now. That's how disappointing the situation was. And so then this morning, I wanted to like try to give him an encouraging talk of saying it's like, "Love, bro, you got to figure out how to let this go. You, this is this is taking too much, you, you know, too much of your energy. You're getting depressed, and in the grand scheme of things, this is really not that big of a bump in the road. I understand that it's really disappointing now, but you gotta you gotta get you gotta manage this. You gotta you gotta get past this. And this is what he said to me today that made me think to myself. I got to get in record. I got to get into record today so that I can keep the freshness of this thought. And that is, he said, dad, this situation was completely preventable. That statement sent me into record today because that's how I understand my teaching now and how and what was going on in that space of me hating my grading and understanding now why I was hating my grading. And so here we go, folks. So let me try to explain this. So what I understand now is that there was a massive disconnect between 
how I was teaching and what I was assessing. Let me say that again, that there was a massive disconnect between how I was teaching and what I was assessing. And so my classroom style is very discussion based. I'm not big on content. I don't like covering content, right? I, what I like is to get into those, you know, those those nice moments where I can get into these, you know, classroom discussions versus making sure I go over, you know, 20 concepts uh, in a class and stuff like that. Uh, that's me, right? And so, and I'm just telling you where my disconnect was. However, when I was assessing, I was assessing content. And so that to me became like the, the, the focus of a massive disconnect. And right. And so that what I want to, you know, empower people to, to be thinking about right now is that you don't have to settle for that. You don't have to settle for this disconnect. I mean, a lot of us live in this disconnect like we would live in a bad relationship. And I'm like, for real, I want you to understand, right? And so we have the power to change. And this is something, especially on the student equity side, but this is for us. It has to start with us first. And that is that we have to feel empowered as teachers in order to do what it is that's necessary to empower our students, right? But empowered teachers, so empowered teachers can create empowered students. And that, I would argue, is one of the main keys that will close student equity gaps, okay? But if we're not empowered to do things in our classroom that will help our students, if we're not empowered to seek these things out, if we're not empowered, then how are we going to empower our students, right? So that's That, to me, was the massive disconnect. So this disruption in my thinking caused me to look for a different way of assessing students. And it made me reflect on what is it that I enjoyed the most as a teacher. And check this out. One of the things that I found out that I enjoyed the most as a teacher was getting random emails from students, either present students or past students, especially when it was a past student. But when uh, students would just send me random emails and say, um, yo, Professor Hoskins, I was watching this video and I was thinking about what was happening in the class that one day. Or, yo, Professor Hoskins, hey, I was reading this newspaper article and I thought about your class. And I'm like, yo, every time I got an, assi uh, uh, an assignment, every time I got an email like that, I got so excited and I never really thought about why I got excited about it until I started looking for another assessment. And so then what what I started figuring out then was that, yo, I could give this as an assignment, like literally these random videos or newspaper articles or whatever. I can actually give that as an assignment. And in that space, that's where my media analysis was born. I am sure that there are other people that are doing something very similar, if not almost the exact same thing, but I didn't get it from other people. That's what I'm trying to tell you right now. And I hope, honestly, I hope that you've been thinking about this and that it doesn't take you 15 years to figure all this stuff out. Like it took me 15 years to figure some things out. Cool. Like anything that I could do to help people construct a better class, to be empowered, to construct their own classrooms at an earlier state than what I did. That's what this podcast is about. Right. And and so 
Um, and so then I started looking at these media analyses. Look, I can share the prompt with you. Just hook me up, you know, send me an email. I'll send you the prompt and whatnot. But basically what I do is that in class, the days that I'm going to lecture slash class discussion, right? I put 10 concepts up on the board from the chapter and the students, they pick one. And then over the weekend, what they do is they write, you know, a hundred words, but they have to find a video or some newspaper article or something like that. And, you know, they send it on Canvas or whatever and all of that stuff, all that good stuff. Right. But the most important part to me is that it could be a song. It could be a movie clip. It could be TV shows, comedy skits, pictures, even newspaper articles and things like that. It literally can be anything. Right. The thing that they can't send me is that I don't want them sending me a person or a video that's just that's just talking about the concept that they're talking about right it's like don't send me a video about the sociological imagination if the if the concept is the sociological imagination right it's like you're gonna don't send me that video what i want you to do is i want you to analyze your social world in the same way that these students who are sending me these you know these random emails and stuff like that um i wanted you to analyze i want the students to analyze their social world and to connect a concept to that to that video, right? Or to that media um, and whatnot. And I'm telling you folks, when I did this, this was like, literally it was like casting a net out into the social world and seeing what you get back, right? I mean, like some of them were good. Actually, most of them were good. Some were bad. I ain't gonna lie. Like some were bad, but bad, but not bad in the way that you would think bad because they sent me a video about someone talking about the sociological imagination or something like that. And so it wasn't, it didn't fit the assignment. Most were good. Some were truly excellent. Some of them, you know, some of them I liked, some of them I loved, right? And even the ones I, you know, it's like there wasn't a whole bunch that I even didn't like, right? It's like it was really just the, the students. The part that I liked the most about it is that the students were giving me something, showing me something from their world. And that helped make a, a better connection from me, from me to them and from them to me, right? And because I think that we, you know, we as teachers, we focus a lot about our connection to the student. But this assignment actually helped the student connect to me, right? That was, it was just a, a really, you know, fascinating thing that happened in that space. And so, um, look straight up. I already told you in the beginning, I like grading now. I literally like grading now. It still takes me a long time to do it though. I, I told you I could share the prompt with you and whatnot, but right now that's not what I'm trying to focus on. The part that I'm really trying to focus on is the empowerment piece of the teacher, right? We, as the teacher, we need to be empowered to create, adjust, adapt our environment, right? Our classroom environment, our assessments, our, you know, all of that stuff that, that goes into teaching. We need to be empowered to be able to change those things and find the assessments. And even if we have to create the assessments that actually fit the style that we have, that, that fit our personality, that fit what we're trying to accomplish. Because ultimately in class, the only thing I'm really trying to do is to get students is to analyze their social world from a sociological perspective. That's really it. And 10 years from now, the only thing that I know of that part that they're going to remember is analyzing their social world. That's it. And 
I don't care about the sociology part of it. I don't care if they can come up with any terms 10 years from now. What I care about is that they are actively engaging in the analysis of their social world. What your words and concepts they put to that, honestly, I already know that they're using sociology. It's just they're not remembering the terms. And to me, that's like I said, that's not the important part, right? The important part is that they are analyzing, that they are sending me random emails 10 years later about some newspaper article or about some video that they watch. And they were wondering, yo, I wonder what Professor Hoskins would think about that. Or I wonder what the sociological, what a sociologist would think about that, right? And so it still takes me a long time to grade. But it's for a different reason. The reason why it takes me a long time to grade is because I literally get immersed into the space now. It's like when I'm clicking into these videos and watching them, you know, they have their description of it. But then I also have my analysis of it. And that's the space where it's like it's this it's me building a relationship with students versus me just teaching the students. Right. And so let me tell you this, though, it's like there's there there is, you know, a gray cloud in the sky uh, along with the rainbow. And that is the biggest challenge of this is that of students not turning in all of the assignments. Um, the way that I do this is that this is literally an assignment that they, they, they have to do on pretty much a weekly basis. Right. And so by the end of the semester, they've done at least 11 of these. What I've chose to do is to drop the lowest one. Right. And so. Right. And so there's 10 of them because that's a nice even number when it comes to grading. And um, that winds up working out for most of them. But then there's some of them who don't, you know, who who turn in less or, you know, who don't turn in one at all um, on multiple occasions. What's happening in that space? I have to say that for another podcast. Like, really, folks, like that's that's a whole different, you know, can of worms to open up um, and to to think about and the process and whatnot. But understand, right, that this whole thing that I'm talking to you about started with my son having this disappointing moment and saying, Dad, there's something that you could do. You know, this this situation was preventable. And that reminded me about the process of grading is that if this is disappointing, if grading is disappointing to you, if you hate grading, there is something you can do about it, right? Whether you do what I did or not is completely irrelevant. You can do something about it and it will help your students, period. Can it close student equity gaps? You got to manage that. Right. It's like we'll we'll talk about that. I, I dropped a few nuggets in there in regards to like giving chances and things like that and managing that. I don't know if it's going to close equity gaps for you, but I know that it'll make you an empowered teacher. That it'll help empower you as a teacher. And if you're not empowered as a teacher, you can't empower students. You can't. You can't skip that from this from this episode, folks, like the empowerment piece, not the empower students part. Right. It's the if I'm not empowered as a teacher to create and to figure out problems and try to solve them in my classroom. And can I even assess the challenges that I have in my classrooms and things like that? Do I even know that there's a problem and whatnot in my classrooms about how what I'm doing and how I'm doing it and things like that? That's what I really want um, you to take away from this episode we need to be empowered. 
we need to be empowered as teachers because empowered teachers create empowered students. And I promise you, folks, I promise you that empowering yourself right in this space will help to empower students and empowering students, truly empowering students, it will close equity gaps. That is definitely a big part of the equation. And so I hope you learned something, folks. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Reteach. If you want to learn more about me or my open source introduction to sociology textbook, please go to brucehoskins.com. In closing, I want to leave us all with a question. If you learned something today that you think would help close your student equity gaps, how long will it take to incorporate this into your classroom? A year? A semester? Next month? Today? No matter the timetable, we must commit ourselves to becoming better teachers. Our students deserve it. All of them. Not just the ones that are good already. 